0: It's very nice, to just sit and meditate, isn't it? So <laughs> it's, it's just just remembering there's this basic uh, sanity, clarity, freshness that you can return to, and you don't have to go anywhere for it. We're such a gift to ourselves if we only knew it, and. Uh, and if we could share that gift, you know, if we could just listen to each other with that same, just, you know, don't carry old impressions, don't carry old impressions, don't carry expectations, don't carry demands, don't carry just every time you just start fresh, breathe somebody in and breathe them out. And uh, let yourself be breathed in and out. As in, in your uprightness yeah? training oneself anyway that's, um, we had a questions and answers session today yeah the topics few general topics um, start someone how to manage inconvenient feelings of attraction towards somebody having a crush on someone I shouldn't be crushing on <laughs> well just uh, who should you be crushing on? <laughs> Indeed, um, yeah. Uh, um, some perhaps uh, link to that. We have uh, questions on um, reacting impulsively towards sexual desire and hatred. Not quite sure exactly what that means. Whether reacting in accordance with them, that you're acting upon them, you find yourself. Plummeting, or, or getting moved by sexual desire or aversion, or whether you're reacting to them. But we'll try to cover these topics. Two topics is obviously very linked. Yeah, well, desire and aversion. Sexual desire, very primary um, feature in, in nature in human beings. Um, so just remembering that this involuntary response that arises, the kind of heating, generally a heating up, and a pulling of the citta heats up, heats the body up, the so pulling into the object of desire, with the fundamental assumption that once one unites with the object of desire, then there'll be a gratification release something beautiful occur and um, yeah, maybe, <laughs> uh, but uh, probably not for very long if it does occur. So you, you don't know that, but that's the, that's the expectation or the fundamental or the trigger. The trigger sets up that particular paradigm. But it's only a trigger, remember, uh, it's not really the person. So you just start to see, well, what is it that is an attractive shape? Probably it's just a, a mixture of bodily shape. Uh, what it suggests, strength or beauty or comfort or uh, you know, these the signs. And those are signs in your own citta. It's projecting out basically human bodies, you know, like you've seen one, more or less, you, we've well, seen two, you've certainly seen them all <laughs> one male, one female. That's the basic design model. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's that's what it is. It's it's uh, it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to be completely negative, but it's bony and lumpy and. Um, skin and flesh and uh, you know you, what can you get out of it really um, but on a kind of very uh, bodily level there's a kind of um, a heating up that occurs at the point of meeting and joining and so things aroused and in that arousal of the mind is, is uh, overwhelmed well actually, what are you looking for? What is it looking for? Now, it's not easy to be rational with sexual desire because it generally poo-poos, rationality just like a bullet just rushes through. So you pull it back, say, let's think, what are you looking for? And where do you see it? And you realise actually what your what your jitta is angling on is really a, an amalgam of certain suggestions. Comfort, power, strength, excitement, feeling warmed. And maybe it's psychological, feeling appreciated, feeling loved, being cuddled, you know, that sense of intimacy and uh, the relaxation and the happiness that can come from that. But it doesn't mean this person is going to provide it. <laughs> you know, That's what's on the label, but it's not necessarily what's in the can. <laughs> And even if it was in the can, then how long does it last? And then you've got to do it again. And eventually it kind of wears out and you've got to find someone else or something else to get it going once. So it's a very unsatisfying experience. And yet it also becomes addictive because you, you get hooked on that, like a drug, get hooked on that flush and that rush and you want some more and then it go co- you get come down you want another one. So like anything else, these addictions you've got to be a bit firm and hold back on it. And why? Why bother? Yeah? Is it so bad? No, it's not so bad. It can be very bad, of course, because you get jealousy, you get adultery, you get cheating, you get abuse, you get all kinds of nasty stuff goes along with that. Frustration, uh, she's not what I really wanted. He doesn't do it for me anymore. All this kind of stuff goes on. It's constant, you know. There are columns in newspapers dealing with people's sexual problems, so it's by no means a faultless joyride. But you know, you think, well, maybe this one would. <laughs> so I just, just start to reflect. Well, what does that do to your mind? You know, what do you jitter? feel like in that it's generally hungry, heated, wanting, pushing towards you. Look at that. Do you want to be with that? Is that, is that comfortable? It's generally uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable with a sense, I will be made comfortable by the other thing. So we're taking a state of discomfort, the tension and the hunger of the citta and imagining that comfort will arise. Actually, if you act upon that, you're basically firming up the basis for discomfort. If you're feeling that sense of inadequacy and discomfort and craving, and you act upon that, well, doesn't that mean that you've in some ways empowered that sense? You've validated it. You said, yes, I will act upon you. Isn't that right? You know, if you follow the signal, you've in some way validated that signal as being worth following. Therefore, you're just to go through it again and again. And you keep returning to that state. So it really is putting yourself into bondage. Um, so what's the other person? What do you become? What are you looking for? How does it affect you? And these, go, these qualities go very deep because they really are around pleasure, pain. They're around the sense of isolation and feeling warm and mutual with each other, which is agreeable. We like that. Isolation, we feel lonely, alone, cold, fed up, you know, I have to do it all myself. These are very powerful um, experiences for people. Um, you know, it can be very depressing life on your own. And of course, that push, that pull towards the pleasant, agreeable, shared, you know, where I'm no longer kind of on my own, left myself. Yeah. But you are, in some respect. Because as soon as the person leaves, then you haven't actually resolved the problem, you've mollified it. You've tranquilized it. You haven't actually resolved the problem. Problem of a sense of separation, lack of comfort, hatred. In some ways, similar. You know, what is it that we dislike? Do you dislike the person? No, I just dislike the way he talks. Okay. Do you dislike everything he says? No, I dislike this particular way he has of always interrupting. So you just get down to particular. It's not a person's particular behaviours that jar, okay, against my sense. Is it possible that everybody in the world is going to fit into my sense? And what do I? What happens to me when I experience hatred? What does my chitta feel like? Sour, bitter, sharp, spiky, fighting. Am I going to let other people do that to me? other people's behavior which may not be agreeable which may be actually improper that's bad enough but to get your own mind soured up by it let's make it twice as bad it's like the buddha said you know if if robbers tie you down and saw your legs off with a saw if you feel hatred towards them you haven't really been following the instructions sounds a bit tough but it's a metaphor this is bad enough. Getting your legs sawed off, that's bad enough. But it's even worse to have that happening and have your mind all on fire with hatred and aversion. So could we let it go? And these both these signs—the unpleasant and the pleasant—wish to merge with the pleasant and to push away the unpleasant—are. The boundaries of the chitta. I want to include that within, I want to keep that out. There's a boundary there. Now, when we cultivate things like Brahma Vihara, you widen the boundary. So, I want you, I want you inside my boundary. I want you as mine. I don't want you on my planet, right? Get out of my life, don't ever exist again. My yeah. My boundary. Something can be done to that boundary because when the sense of owning is relinquished there's just the boundary of awareness. This is the unpleasant, this is the pleasant, this is the fascinating, this is the repulsive. When there's no clinging to the centre, to being the owner of these impressions, to being the one who is impinged upon, then these phenomena can pass through. The jitter is no longer activated by it. It doesn't take birth in them. It doesn't get fascinated by them. It doesn't establish a ground upon them. They, they don't arise. Or they arise less often. That's, that's the big picture. That's the big process that we're creeping along in probably as best we can over years. Yeah. But that is the possibility the only way actually that we could ever find a sense of satisfaction so this is brahma vihara and it's also a beautiful thing to do to your own body because if you sit in the quality of loving kindness and you just feel there's an energy to it which is very bright and open you can't be contracted and depressed you can't be well you know I'll give him a little bit of metta and I give her some metta and well I suppose he could have some compassion yeah, maybe a little bit more, but not too much. You know, <laughs> it doesn't deserve it. You, you, you just, and the body opens up and that's so extremely refreshing, extremely refreshing and and uh, enjoyable, which is what we're here for. We're here to have a good time. This is the best way to do it. Now, most of us, you know, as we're working towards these things, antidotes, general antidotes are to keep the sense of devotion, which keeps the heart open. Brahmavihara keeps the heart bright. Brahmavihara towards yourself, towards a snail, towards people you like, towards people you can just about tolerate. You know, just keep pushing it, pushing those boundaries until it becomes very firm, until you can actually dwell in the sign itself, in the mood itself, becomes like a, a territory that you can dwell in. It's called a vihara, because it is. It can be a place, a place you dwell in and feel good with. And you keep building those up. Then this tends to remove the hunger or the sourness or the edginess, which acts as the basis for sexual desire and ill will. So okay, you know we talked for how long? Ten minutes on that. Yeah, practice with it for ten years (laughs) or (laughs) twenty. Yeah, these these are big things. In the meantime, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? You get crushes on people, you get fascinated by people, you get annoyed by this, that, and the other. (sighs) Just uh, try to avoid following it, and uh, just notice what's happening. And practice the good that you can do, the restraint that you can do. Uh, if you get too bonded to sense any kind of sense base, then you're laying yourself open to these particular powerful energies, and they're very powerful. The Buddha said there's another energy like sexual desire. If there's one more like this, you could never get enlightened. It's that powerful. Mm. So if you've managed to harness that you'll do yourself an enormous amount of good, you'll feel really good, you'll have no sense of all the upheavals that sexuality causes, and you'll have definitely made enormous um, shift towards liberation. Otherwise, the Buddha wouldn't have been celibate otherwise, for sure. You know, clearly there's all kinds of personal issues one needs to look at in that, in terms of you know, with people and partners and so forth. But I can't go any further into that right now. Just take what I've said, think about it, and um, hope it's of some use. Because I have to move on a little. And boredom and drowsiness, boredom leading to drowsiness or total distraction. <laughs> well, we do need to keep freshening up, and it's likely this person recomm- has been doing. You know, an hour-long sitting, which is commendable. But sitting, the the drawback, you can get stagnant. You know, sit there. uh, uh, So often walking helps, standing helps, chanting helps a lot. You know, you don't realize what a big feature chanting is in traditional Buddhism. And generally in Indian, Asian culture. It's, and of course, in Christian culture too, you know. And it's not there for decoration. It's a sense who just lifts, rises everything up. Now, it's great when you do it in a group, of course. What does it do? It's this sense of which a certain quality called sata, uh is aroused. The faith, or uh, there is a possible, there is a beautiful rises and there's a a somatic effect to that you do feel yourself lift with devotion and aspiration most spiritual practices have a god in them (laughs) you know so most practices like Jesus or Krishna or Quan Yin or something of course that does give you something to sort of oh you know to rise up to now, of course, in straight Theravada, you don't have anything theistic, but you do have Buddha. So you can even, you know, it kind of seems, when you're coming from the kind of, past the tradition, then it's, it's, it's kind of strange. Uh, but you know, trying to rise to that which you sense is beautiful and, and have a, a shrine or a sense of sacred does help to keep lifting things up. Terms of heart, freshen up. And the other basis is to work on the bodily basis. Often with um, boredom, drowsiness, it just your bodily energy is stale. So it's to stand up, do some walking. You know, and why I, often in retreats I do qigong sessions with people, just because it's you know it's the nature of um, the body; the energies go kind of stale, and then this becomes psychological what was actually somatic a lack of refreshment stagnant state becomes psychologized into i'm bored i'm fed up means essentially the bright energy is not present so you need to get it present Um, so there's bodily energy mental energy arises through investigation so you can bring energy into a practice by investigating what is it you know but with boredom sometimes you're too bored to investigate it. <laughs> it's not interesting. But you might notice what's happening in your body and then perhaps start to use yeah. Stand. Because sometimes when you drownse you think, Oh, I just I'll get through it. Yeah, I'll be alright. You don't feel like doing very much. But you say, well, you could stand up, couldn't you? Yeah, I suppose so. Stand up. You could open your eyes, couldn't you? Yeah. You could move your head, couldn't you? Yeah. Take a few breaths. Mm -hmm. The most important breath is the (sighs) out-breath. Cleaning out. really long full out breath let the inhalation come then you freshen up being with friends Kalyanamitta also helps to keep your practice alive in terms of investigation and inquiry okay let's have a look I have a few more here questions about the deathless (laughs) <laughs> from the mundane to the <laughs> supramundane. How does one turn towards the deathless? Through the purification of the Chitta can then one realize the unconditioned, through the conditioned nature of chitta? This is a, a phrase that occurs several times in the suttas. It says, he reviews, or one reviews the aggregates thus. As one reviews feeling, form, perception, mental activations, consciousness. One reviews them. This is wearisome. This is a burden. This is a hassle. This is agitation and so forth. You begin to see something is nipika. means it's disillusioned, disenchanted with more feeling, more form, more mental activity. You just see they just come and go. Of no, and they don't arrive anywhere. Um, so therefore, one is no longer fascinated by it. So the turning is more like a, a turning of intention. One is no longer looking for. You know, so the chitta then turns its intention. You now, see, turning sounds physical, like actually. but it's. I don't think it's a turning it's like a adjusts its taste it, it returns to this deathless property now what is that you might say <laughs> <laughs> and of course now you can create another word unconditioned nirvana but what's the experience that we're referring to well indeed um still, uh, peaceful, absence of content, no stress, restful, intimate, you could say, no time. There's lots of things you can say aren't there. Uh, personal story, personal boundary, future, past, no, not there. And that's uh, properly as uh, accurate. Um, now, can one realize the unconditioned through the conditioned nature of jitta? Yes, to a degree, yes. I mean, what else are you are going to go through? You have to work. You've got to condition jitta. And through its skillful cultivations, it begins to uncondition itself. As it begins to drop certain primary conditions, such as owning, such as boundaries, such as having a center, such as having continuity. I will be. What will happen next? I've got to get on to the next thing. If I get this, will I get that? Um, having been this, what will I be next? This time sense, that is to be relinquished. And so in the relinquishment of these conditions and the f- and the fostering of the condition supports that will make that possible, such as mindfulness, such as energy, such as wisdom, discernment, then it becomes possible to do that. Now the results... Um, one would say well, yeah, you experience results in terms of condition that is the condition of hatred does not arise the condition of um, dis- sadness does not arise the condition of um, passion does not arise what doesn't arise so, you know defilement does not arise um, projection onto other people, like I want this from her. Uh, um, this thing will make me happy. That doesn't arise. So in those ways, the absence of certain significant conditioning factors is a is a, a sign that the jitta okay. has dropped its some of its conditioned or increasing number or increasing amount or increasing degree of its conditioned Fetters. Uh, these are. So, yeah, that's another longish story. The Ten Fetters. I don't want to go into all that right now. But it's to do with, first of all, <laughs> very simply, having said I'm not going to go into it now, I'm going to go into it. <laughs> the, personal, the personality with his narratives. And I will be this and I'm like that. What's that all about? It's just an ongoing babble. Uh, conversation enough of that conversation finish that conversation not interested in that conversation anymore right stream The a stream mantra mm-hmm. and then no longer i've talked about the boundary of pleasure pleasure and pain how it wants to get around pleasure and push away pain that boundary dropping away so it's to do with hedonic or emotional or um, restrictions and then uh, that dropping away to a lesser and greater degree. And then even the sense of being something. The arahant hand is no, not locatable in place, in space or in time. Okay. Yeah, these may sound abstract, but until you've, until you've experienced them, they are abstract. But those are reported upon, recognised marks. Of the traceless the absence what's absent to turn towards that means that constant shifting away from those fetters away from that fascination obsession with me 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 my story my this that the other you know we've either dealt with it or we're no longer interested in it yeah obsession with getting my space and getting my way and keeping her, him, out of it. This and that out of it. Turning away from those kind of inclinations and the ability to do so. So the more the Chitta can relinquish those, as it, because they're not actually, they're its own inclinations. It's not like there's a world out there that's designed to annoy me. <laughs> I mean, possibly, it seems like that on a bad day. There's no, there's no people out there who have been set up to annoy you. There's just your, your irritability that needs to be dealt with. It's your own jitters, intentions or unconscious reflexes that need to be dismantled. When they're dismantled, there's no world that's going to annoy you or fascinate you. So they're turning that way. Um, so essentially the ending of the turmoil and the stress. Another question, I mean, these may be things you'd like to ponder, but someone's asking a question about, hmm. sometimes we hear descriptions of phenomena arising out of the deathless and returning into the deathless. This makes Nibbana sound like a ground of being, a ground of being, a person writes that in, in in quote marks, as a phrase, ground of being. Are there passages in the canon to support this? Yeah, well, you know, you can find all kinds of cryptic, poetic, figurative, imaginative, metaphorical uh, language in the canon. And uh, that you could you know, hang any number of views on, really. It depends how you use the words and how the Buddha was using the words. So he says, well, Nibbana, you can call it the island. Oh, it's definitely a place then. An island you cannot go beyond. I call it Nibbana. Oh, there's a particular place I can go to. Well, I think he's just using words to say there's definitely something you can, where you feel safe. Uh, is that a place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the use of language. Uh, and phenomena arising out of the deathless and returning to the deathless. I don't see that, that phrase ever being used in the canon. Um, because, uh, well, um, certainly returning. I mean, what is it that gets the phenomenon to arise in the first place? must be some kind of propellant um, craving or wishing or inclination to get the phenomenon to well up and um, certainly phenomena can be seen as arising and passing or, or forming and fading taking form and breaking up so this may be just another figurative expression phenomena do crystallize you know if you thought where does the thought come from it sort of starts to crystallize very quickly and then it, it can also evaporate and there's a certain space that one experiences in the evaporation or the waning of, of um, a thought or an emotion. Now, whether this is the deathless element or a deathless property, or a, 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 like a glimpse of the deathless, uh, it's not the complete thing. But maybe just a little flash. You get some flash into it. You could, you could follow that up. Um, you know, as long as there are phenomena arising. That's not the deathless. You know, the deathless phenomena don't arise. So you know, how did the Buddha, having realized Nibbana, how did he come out of it again? <laughs> That's a good question, right? If he's in a state where everything kind of ceased, what gets him out of it? So it seems to be the case that he'd already set up a, a determination or there's a previous determination that brings phenomena back. But I don't think this is this not the, the arising and passing is something much more deliberate, and uh, not not just stuff happening. a different definite turning uh, of the citta in some way. So, ground of being. I don't think you're going to find that phrase or anything that backs that up. In metaphorical terms, you could find it things like the island, the safe place, the refuge. Um, these are poetic um, expressions that give people a feeling of, yes, it's definitely, is definitely not an idea. It's definitely a, an experience that one can dwell in. But uh, I think the nature of the question seems to look for a state of, permanent being that is not what the canon is referring to okay so we have a little more time and these are topics one can interestingly kick around and pick up pieces of this somebody said that and he said that it says this in the book and you can go on around it and there's a certain point in which you think yeah, well, I think I'll just go back to breathing in and out and <laughs> take, trust the process will get me there in its own time because you can speculate about the inconceivable until the cows come home and you won't be any wiser. <laughs> um, so, questioner asks, refers to these phrases internally and externally. Uh, Pajata, Pahidha, Pani words that are used in a number of situations and they are often translated as internally, externally, sometimes translated as here and there. They are rather fuzzy terms, just like here and there are rather fuzzy and so people have tried to make that more definite by saying internally refers to yourself, externally means other people. Um, doesn't really work you know for example Satipatthana Sutta one contemplates the breath internally one contemplates it externally so it means you watch your own breath and you watch somebody else's breath I don't think so I've never noticed anybody contemplating somebody else's breathing never <laughs> I don't see this as a practice contemplating other people's breathing uh and particularly in this situation where it says, you know, you sit alone at the foot of a tree in a wilderness, there's nobody else to watch. Uh, so I don't think this refers to, it says, you know, contemplate the mind internally, externally, which means you read your own mind. Then you contemplate somebody else's mind. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, can you really be sure? So uh, I don't think this simplistic breakdown as internal. Ajata means myself. Mahida mean somebody else, it doesn't seem to work. Uh, so what I've been reviewed this, and my hypothesis, I'm not saying this is a final statement, but I'm, what I'm working on is internally is much more to do with subjective, externally objective. Now what I mean by that is I contemplated the breath objectively, like I'm breathing in and out. Breath is traveling from my belly up through my nose, my chest. and It's as if I am watching it. Right? And um, I am watching it and I can define it. So it seems to be external to my position. I am watching it. Internally, breathing is, is an experience of energies flushing through me. It seems to be inside me rushing through me. I contemplate my mind externally. Oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. This is anger. I'm angry because of this and that and the other. Those are external references. Internally, heating, tightening, passion moving through, fluctuations in the jitta, subjective experience. So that's what I'm suggesting as a, a model. So subjective means you're really in it, and it feels as if it's it's filling you, objective. You're witnessing it, watching it, defining it. Then the person gives recites the Buddha's instructions to here when he says, "When here for you in the scene is merely what is seen. There will be neither here nor there nor in between the two. Neither Ajata nor Bahida. Um. Yeah. Because it's the fundamental features of both of these experiences, internal and external, is me. Internal, this is happening through me. I'm filled with this experience. Me, uh, I'm overwhelmed with delight or fear. External, this nasty stuff is sweeping over me. This unpleasant sense is happening to me. so it's externalized It's so the me sense is the is the common denominator now with that gone or that location dissolved then those references and the energies that are they they represent are diffused hmm. no. Things arise, move within awareness. What is conceived is just the conceived. There's no passion. There's no grabbing it. There's no resisting of it. And both of those are signs. We resist. We try to keep something we fear or dislike or feel overwhelmed when we try to keep it out. That's resistance. Uh, fascination, we try to pull it in with the ending of resistance and the ending of fascination is the ending of the boundary. Therefore, when there's no boundary, there can be no internal and no external. I'd say this is the end of suffering. So just watch that boundary. However silly or passionate or convincing the mood is, resisting it, one thing, and trying to Absorb it, another thing. If you let go of those energies, the boundary dissolves. This is an ending of stress. Ending of sense of self. Okay, I have now completed these series of questions. So somebody's patiently had their hand up in the room. How to work with tightness in the chest and difficulty in breathing best thing I would suggest is to do some walking move around and move around and really letting your body flex and soften so you should walk as if you're swimming or strolling to really release these posture muscles um, there are certain Fundamental signs such as tightness is generally either to do with uh, something like a fear or an anxiety, so we restrict. So it's a quality associated with not wanting to be overwhelmed by external conditions, so we tighten up. This affects your breathing. Or frustration. I want to move and I can't. So this is more like an anger situation. So it's what's outside us, what's outside our boundaries affecting, and that becomes established. So we need to get a sense of the space around me is very open and warm and friendly. I can move around and it definitely helps the body to release. I wouldn't, if you're having difficulty breathing, I wouldn't focus on breathing. You need to focus on something you feel comfortable with. If it's just standing or walking, that's adequate. Um, don't focus on breathing. the focus itself will tend to intensify your difficulty so i focus on something you feel comfortable with let your body relax until by itself you feel breathing don't go to the breathing let the breathing come to you at the appropriate time okay so thank you for your questions it's always good to, to ask these things. It uh, helps to keep us you know, investigating what one person's questions are in some ways. They really apply to all of us. You know, we experience the same human predicament. Sometimes they seem very embarrassing and personal, but it's, it's exactly the same for everyone in different situations. And so we always enlighten each other by, you know. Presenting our, our uh, inquiries, our problems, our uncertainties. Uh, it, it's a great blessing, Dhammakata. So, yeah. Hopefully, we can do this again at another time. So, just take that respectful moment's pause when you, you've heard a load of words. Five of them, ten of them, a few phrases have been helpful. Yeah. Remember, this will all be recorded and you can get it back again. Um, but particularly when you've just heard it, notice, did anything light up, shift right now? This is the, they say, if you literally listen to a Dhamma talk, the enlightenment factors are present whenever you listen to Dhamma. Mm. Did something arise for you? Let's take our time and uh, wish everyone well. Amazing that we can have this occasion of Dhamma still alive in the world. Take care.